So this morning um, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 21 and uh, Lisa's been cheering about uh, God's creation in the beginning and this morning we're going to be looking at God's uh, new creation. So in this morning's passage we'll read about how an angel takes John in a vision to witness the great city, the holy Jerusalem. And this is a heavenly city, it, it descends out of heaven. Uh, John goes on to describe to us what he sees. He gives us a description of how this eternal city is constructed and he goes into the detail of the materials that are used in the construction. So we'll hear about walls and we'll hear about foundations. We'll be given some measurements and things like that. So Now, when we think of great cities around the world, we often think of their features and certain images come to mind. Their famous landmarks, their architecture or maybe their cultural centres and these are the sort of things that we think about. So if we think of Paris for example, we'll think of maybe the Eiffel Tower, we'll think of the Louvre, we'll think of the Arc de Triomphe and if we were to think of London we would think of things like the Big Ben, the Tower Bridge or maybe even the London Eye, that big Ferris wheel thing that they've got going on in the in the centre of town there. If it was New York we would think of the Statue of Liberty, Times Square and Central Park. Now when we think of Ekaterhuna, <laughs> the first things that come to mind are the Ekaterhuna pools. We might think about the Middleton Model Railway or we might even think about the Ekaterhuna Community Centre which is the home to the great Ekaterhuna Cheese Festival. Now if you don't know much about the Great Ekaterhuna Cheese Festival it's going to be held next May. I'm going to talk to Lisa about maybe us attending. Uh, she loves her camembert and her brie and I'm a big fan of cheese on toast. <laughs> so, so book now, um, you can't book tickets to the, to the festival, you can book accommodation, I'd say get in now, I don't know how much accommodation there is. Uh, the tickets are strictly door sales, okay? So mark it in your calendars. Is there anyone here from Ekaterhuna? <laughs> should always ask these questions first and then maybe move on to something else. Now I know I shouldn't really give Ekaterhuna stick. Uh, it's a bit funny. Um, I hail from the great metropolis of Foxton. So, um, uh, but Ekaterhuna is probably a really lovely place and the people who live there choose to live there because they love it. And there's probably some really great people who actually live there. And, and, and that brings us to an important point. A city or a place is not just the buildings. It's not just the landmarks and the features. It's equally about the people. Lisa and I have some American friends, and most of you here will know them. And, uh, and you will know that they, they've lived in many different places, both in the States and, and here in New Zealand. But when they share about the places where they've lived, they don't tell us about what's great about that place or what the, uh, the landmarks are or what the greatest buildings are. They always regale to us uh, stories and tales about the people who live there, the people that they know, uh, the people that they've encountered. And one of the places I used to live was a place called Cannon County in, in Tennessee. And you, you should ask them about it because 
I, I've got no idea what Cannon County looks like. I don't know any of the hot spots, but I do know there's some really uh, amazing characters who live there because uh, Teddy and Cindy have shared with us about uh, the different people who live there and their characteristics and they're just the, yeah, it's, it's Tennessee, I guess. I don't know. I don't know much about Tennessee either. As we read Revelation 21 this morning, John gives us his eyewitness account of the New Jerusalem and he describes to us how it looks. But take note of what the angel says before he takes John to witness this heavenly city. He says to him, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. This great city which descends from heaven, which shines with the glory of God, is described as being the bride of the Lamb. And we know that the bride of the Lamb is talking about God's people. Warren Wearsby, he, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce his last name, Warren Wearsby, he, he's a Bible commentator and he talks about this, scripture of, this passage of scripture that we're looking at this morning. And this is his comments on it. The eternal city is not only the home of the bride, it is the bride. A city is not buildings, it is people. The city John saw was holy and heavenly. In fact, it descended to earth from heaven where it was prepared. John's description staggers the imagination. Even accepting the fact that a great deal of symbolism is involved, heaven is a real place of glory and beauty. The perfect home for the Lamb's bride. So let's pray before we come to this passage this morning. Lord, we just thank you for your word and Lord, we just thank you for this portion of scripture that we're looking at this morning and Lord, we pray that as we open it up, as we explore some of the things that you are saying to us there, Lord, we pray that you speak to us, you speak to our hearts and Lord, that we will take on board just the encouragement that there is in the scripture this morning. But Lord, also take on board the challenges or the things that you are talking to us about. Lord, I pray that each of us here will just Pick up on your word for us for today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, Revelations chapter 21 and we'll be reading verses 9 through to 21. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was a most precious stone. Her light was like a most precious stone like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also she had a great and high wall, twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. 
Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. So in this morning's passage, John has given us a vivid, incredible description of this eternal city. And in some ways it's a bit like a blueprint. As we explore this morning's passage, we'll try to unpack some of this descriptive language that is used here and we'll be encouraged by what God has set in place for his people. So let's start out with verses 9 to 14. Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Firstly we see that John is taken in the spirit to a great and high mountain. Now this is very similar to Ezekiel's prophecy. He too had a vision where he was taken in the spirit to a high mountain. Ezekiel prophesied how the new Jerusalem would be located on the high mountain. So if you want to do a bit of homework, um, Ezekiel 40-48 to is is a similar vision to what we're reading here this morning and it goes into great detail. His vision is of a new Jerusalem and a new temple. In Ezekiel chapter 40 verse 2, Ezekiel says this, In visions of God he took me into the land of Israel and he set me on a very high mountain. On it toward the south was something like the structure of a city. So we have these two different visions. Now both of these visions prophesy the same reality of the final permanent establishment of God's presence with his people. They have different pictorial details. It's a bit like that different camera lens thing on the same thing, on the same vision. The next thing we notice is that John witnesses the city is descending from heaven and it comes from God. Clearly the city was designed and prepared by God. It is a heavenly city. It is a holy city. And later on when we 
come to the application part of our message this morning, we'll contrast this, this heavenly eternal city to the city of Babylon. And um, we'll see that there are some contrasting differences. One city is of heaven and is entirely holy. The other is of earth and is entirely evil. One city is eternal and the other is destined for destruction. Now, when we think of God planning and preparing this, this place, a couple of verses pop to mind. Um, the first one is from John 14 and this is Jesus, he's speaking to his disciples. This is found in John 14 verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If, I were n- if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. The writer of Hebrews also talks about the heavenly place being prepared by God when he talks about those saints who have died in their faith. And, and these saints have seen this promise of God from afar. They have been described as being strangers and pilgrims in the world. But um, he goes on to say this in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 16. By now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So we see the city, it, it, it's descended from heaven, from God, and we see that the city has upon it the glory of God. Now, the entire chapter 21 is about this heavenly city. It's about the new creation, the new Jerusalem. And in our preaching series, we have broken this chapter into three different parts. But what we find running through the whole chapter is the central theme of God's presence among his people. Now today I'm going to sound a bit like a stuck record because this theme just keeps coming at us again and again through this scripture. So, and this theme is God dwelling with his people in all his glory. We saw this last week with Josh. We're touching on it again uh, this morning and next week we'll be right there again. Now here's a bit of a teaser for what we're in for, for next Sunday. This is verse 22. But I saw no temple in it. So that's a bit strange, isn't it? We've got a holy city that's here and there's no temple in it. But the verse goes on to explain that there is actually a temple there. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So here in the midst of the city is the presence of God, the glory of God. The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. And you can't get any more of God's glory and his presence than that. So the city has the glory of God, it was planned by God, it was built by God, it's heavenly and it's pure. And we see here in this scripture that God's glory is described as light. So hand in hand with God's glory is this picture of light. John describes it to us like this. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. So the city radiates light. It radiates the glory of God. 
Now looking at other similar visions, we see that they also describe God's glory as light. And these other visions can help add to this picture that we have of God's glory in this heavenly scene. Uh, We've already spoken about Ezekiel. So Ezekiel talks about it in chapter 43 and verse 2. And he describes how that when the glory of God came upon the new temple, the earth shone with his glory. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters and the earth shone with his glory. Zechariah is another one who also talks of God's glory and he describes it as a wall of fire. Uh, This is from Zechariah's vision of the New Jerusalem. Uh, Zechariah chapter 2 verse 5 For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her and I will be the glory in her midst. So he talks about God's glory being in the midst of the city. And of course the wall of fire was all around it. Now the wall of fire would also talk to us about how God places his protection around his city. There's also a very interesting point in one of Daniel's vision. He reveals how the people of God will also shine. This is Daniel speaking about God's people at the end of time. This is from Daniel chapter 12 verse 3. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. They will shine like stars forever and ever for all eternity. This is God's glory shining through his people. Isaiah also gets in on the act and he tells us that God's glory, he also explains to us how God's glory shall be upon his people. And this is from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 3. And this will be a very familiar um, scripture to you. We, we sing this quite often here in church. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. So we have five different prophets who witness this light, this glory of God, and they describe it as light. They bring different pictures and these different pictures give us a full picture of what John is talking about here. This light emanates from the heavenly city. This light is like precious stones, it's like a wall of fire and it shall light up the earth. The source of this light is the glory of God and this light, this glory of God will also shine through God's people and this makes sense as the city is not just the home of God's people, it is God's people. Next we move on to the wall. So John describes to us the wall of the city. He points out that the wall is a great and high wall and then he gives us a little bit of detail of the gates and the foundations of this wall. The gates and the foundations have been named. The twelve gates are named as the twelve tribes which are the sons of Israel and the twelve foundations 
and named as the Twelve Apostles of Jesus Christ. Now, we've seen this sort of thing previously as we've looked through Revelation, the Twelve Tribes and the Twelve Apostles. Uh, We've seen it when we looked at the number of God's people, when we looked at the 144,000. Now, what we found when we looked at that um, that number, the 144,000, is that it is representative of the entire community of God. It talks about all of God's people throughout the entirety of history. If you remember back to when we looked at it, and I, I think we've covered this, um, I think there was two different scriptures we looked at that spoke about the 144,000. Um, what it is made up of is made up of the 12 tribes of Israel and they are representing God's people under the old covenant and then we multiply that by the 12 apostles who represent the church or God's people under the new covenant so we get 144 and then that number is multiplied by a thousand and in the Bible a thousand is symbolic of a great multitude so we get this 144,000 or all of God's people and it's not just it's not a literal number rather it's a descriptive number it's describing uh, the people of God now I believe that's some of what we're seeing here in the naming of the gates and the foundations. It's a representation of all of God's people being part of the city. Now there are also other allusions that you can draw on here. John mentions how there's 12 angels who are stationed at the 12 gates. Now these angels could be compared to the angels of Revelation 1 which were the angels of the churches. So again we have the church represented here. Um, also if you want to keep on the mathematical type theme you could look at 12 plus 12 equals 24 so this could tie in with the 24 elders uh, that we spoke about earlier in Revelation and of course the 24 elders also represent the people of God so coming back to the wall itself the wall is a great and high wall and what this speaks to us about is security Ancient cities with high and strong walls were thought of as being safe from outside raiders. So this city is a safe and secure place. It's holy. It's of God. No evil or sin will enter her gates. Sin and its consequences will not get into there. There's no hatred, there's no violence, there's no jealousy, there's no sickness, there's no fear. There's none of those things. None of those things will be there. And as we move through this passage we see that the security and greatness of the city is further alluded to as John goes on to even more detail. And we see this in the measurements of the city and the wall as well. So looking at verses 15 through to 17 we have all these measurements that are, um, that are brought to us. Now the one speaking to John and presumably that's the angel He produces a gold reed and he proceeds to measure the city and he measures the gates and he measures the walls. Now, once we look at these measurements and we see how big this place actually is, it it might might have taken a fair amount of time to actually do. And of course, we've seen a similar scene to this in Ezekiel uh, where, where the temple was measured out as well. But what does all of this mean to us? 
Well, let's take a look at the measurements and then we'll draw some conclusions. First of all, the city is measured. Um, the first thing to note that it is a square. Its length, its breadth and its height are equal. Now this tells us something. This shape is the same shape as the most holy place in the tabernacle or the temple, as the holy of holies. Um, so it's symbolic of God's presence and God's glory. Um, but as we see, it's, it's intensely magnified here. So the measurements themselves is 12,000 furlongs by 12,000 furlongs by 12,000 furlongs. So there again we have that number 12 coming through again. Now if you don't know what a furlong is, apparently it's the same as a stadia. If you don't know what a stadia is like me, you'll go to Mr Google and you'll punch in a furlong and then when you times it by 12,000, um, I think I got the wrong measurement there, it says there 2,253 kilometres. I thought I'd double check that this morning, I did it a couple of times and I came up with 2,414 kilometres. So you get the sort of idea, it's pretty big. Then we look at the wall and it talks about how the wall is 144 cubits. Now what's not clear and what is for some reason a um, bit of an issue of debate is whether it's referring to the height of the wall or the width of the wall. Um, to me I don't think it really matters um, but what we see here we get this number 144 and again it's that 12 by 12, that's, we see that 144,000 that we spoke about a little bit earlier. Now if you go back to Mr Google, 144 cubits is around about 65 metres. Um, in real jokers speak, that is about two thirds of a rugby field. Okay, So it's pretty big. Whether it's the width or the height, I mean if you're looking at it, you'd be looking right up and if it was wide, it would be a pretty wide wall. You'd get a few Mack trucks on there I would imagine. The other thing we see under the, all this measurement going on, we see that a measurement, the measure of the man equals the measure of an angel. So what does that mean? Well, what this phrase explains to us is that we need to look at more than what we literally read here, what we see on the surface. There's more to these measurements than just pure numbers. Now, if these measurements were part of a blueprint for something we were building, we would merely see the measurements that are written down the measurements of a man. However, equating the measurement of the man to the measurement of an angel, this tells us that there is a deeper heavenly meaning other than just some physical measurement. So if we look at all of that, what does it all mean? Well, first thing which I've already touched on, the number 12 features prominently and as we know in Bible speak, 12 is symbolic of God's people. So we've got this thing about God's people again. The other thing that we can look at is the size of the place talks to us about security. This place, and, and, and if we put it in the words of a uh, primary school, uh, probably a boy, this place is ginormous and it has an awesomely huge wall. It's beyond fathom, being able to be fathomed. God's people will be secure and safe. Nothing will harm them anymore and evil can't touch them. 
And we see that God has placed his boundary around the city. Now the other thing when we look into the large scale that we are talking about here, the large scale size, it can also symbolise God's immense plans and purposes for his people. You would imagine that there would be a large amount of knowledge and wisdom which is poured into the design and the construction of this heavenly city. Now there's some bright sparks out there, some other people have noted that these measurements equate to about the same size as the known world in that day. So it could therefore represent the redeemed of all nations and it's, um, it's sort of like that out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation thing. So it's talking about the characteristics of the people of God. But probably most important of all is that throughout scripture whenever measurements are undertaken whether it was in the days of Moses when he was being presented the measurements of the tabernacle and, and all the bits and pieces of that or whether it's in a vision of, of a um, temple or the new city whenever measurements are undertaken it's in relationship to the presence of God. It's always in relationship to where God will dwell. And as we read through scripture, where is it that God dwells? He always dwells amongst his people, whether it's in the tabernacle, in the wilderness, whether it's in, a, in Jerusalem, whether it's the indwelling of his Holy Spirit within his people, or whether it's in this eternal city, God's dwelling is amongst his people. So we see the same theme keeps coming at us again and again, the theme of God and his people. Verses 18 to 21, so now we'll take a look at the materials that are spoken about that make up this city. And we see that that theme continues as John describes these materials. First of all we have the wall. The wall was of jasper. Now this gives us a picture and it describes to us how the walls reflect God's holiness. Then it talks about the city. The city is pure gold like glass. Now the word pure speaks to us of God's purity and his holiness. This will be a pure and holy place. And the city itself shines with God's holiness like a crystal. It is shining with God's glory. We see that it has a transparent nature, it's gold like glass and therefore it reflects God's glory. Now we can also think back to Solomon's temple and Solomon's temple was a type or a forerunner of what we're reading about here today and um, Solomon's temple was also overlaid with gold. Coming back to the foundations of the wall we see that the wall foundations are adorned with precious stones. Now this is quite significant and we see a couple of things going on here. Firstly Josh spoke to us last week about the bride and how the bride was adorned with precious stones. So it's like a further development of that theme. Secondly those stones represent the 12 stones which were in the priest's breastplate or the priest's breastpiece from Moses' time. So the priests had this breastpiece on them and on these breastpieces were 12 stones and those 12 stones 
had names. They had the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. So the thing is, is that the um, the priest would go into the temple, into the holy of holies, and he would be representing the whole of Israel. And we see that happening here. And it's very interesting that these twelve stones, which represent the twelve tribes of Israel, adorn the twelve foundations of the wall, which we notice were named after the twelve apostles. And then we come to the gates, and the gates are twelve pearls. And they're not pearls like we know, which are about that size. The gates are, are huge pearls, because the whole gate is one pearl. Um, now, I couldn't find much on pearls when I was doing a little bit of research, um, but there is a reference, and, and here we go again, there is a reference that in Old Testament language they represent the twelve tribes of Israel. So in this context, again, they represent the people of God. And then finally the street is, uh, is described to us. And again, like the city, it is pure gold like glass. So we've already touched on that. It's a reflection of God's glory. But another interesting point is the contrast between this street and another street that we've spoken about in Revelation, back in Revelation 11. And on the previous street that we spoke about, it was the street where the bodies of the witnesses died. So we had the two witnesses, they were slain and they laid in the street in Jerusalem, in the old Jerusalem, for a number of days. So we can possibly draw the contrast of pictures between these two streets. The street where the witnesses of God were slain and the street where they will be glorified. So as we look into the materials which make up the different features of the eternal city, we see again all of the symbolism which talks to us about the glory of God and the representation of God's redeemed people. So as we conclude and we pull all this together of what we've looked at in this passage this morning, there's a lot of encouraging things. What have we learnt about the New Jerusalem? Well, first of all, it's of divine design. It's planned and it's constructed by God. And Secondly, it is described as being a grand place built on a grand scale and is made from precious and durable materials. This is a place of safety and security and it is eternal. One of the things that I haven't really touched on this morning is the incorruptibility and the permanence of the city. And we can read that sort of thing into the scale of the place and also into the materials that are used. Peter touches on it in one of his letters. Uh, this is from 1 Peter 1 verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance which is incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And probably the most overarching thing that we've seen as we've read through this this morning is that the images 
and the direct references we have read, they overwhelmingly point to the reality that Peter has been talking about. This reality that God has designed an eternal place for all of his people and it is here that God will dwell with his people forever. So if we look at the applications, well there's there's a really obvious application here for us as Christians and that is that we have this great hope. We are those strangers and pilgrims in the world and we are looking to a home that is yet to come. And it's pretty encouraging and we can all draw encouragement from this passage. And it certainly was the um, application to the Christians of John's day. It doesn't matter what we face, what we suffer, what we endure. We know that our destiny is assured and that it is awesome. That's that uh, primary school kid talk coming through again. Some of us never grow up. Was it an amen I heard from my wife? But there's also a secondary application going on here as well. And I want to focus on this a little bit this morning. As we contrast this city to the city of Babylon, I want us to consider the importance of sharing our faith with those we love, with those we know and with those we meet. Hence the title for this morning's sermon, Babylon or Jerusalem. And hopefully it's a challenge to us. Now one of the things that we've discovered as we've studied through the book of Revelation is that we are often being presented with contrasts. We've seen the contrast between good and evil, we've seen the contrast between the serpent and the Lamb of God and today's passage is another contrast. This eternal city, this bride of Christ is a direct contrast to what we looked at in Revelation 17. And this contrast is pictured in two ways. It's a contrast of two women and it's a contrast of two cities. That's the two different pictures that we're given. It's a contrast between the prostitute and the bride and it's a contrast between Babylon and the New Jerusalem. And ultimately for us here in our application, it's a contrast between God's people and the people who do not belong to God. So let's look at just a couple of these contrasting features. There's probably more than this. Contrast number one is the attraction, the attraction of these two places. So both Babylon and the New Jerusalem have their attractions. And as I've said here in Revelation, they're personified as the prostitute and the bride. Now both of these women are wearing adornments. If we're to look at Babylon's adornment and what that represents, it represents the world system. And this world system can look attractive to us. But as we have read in Revelation, all of these trappings lead to death and destruction. And when we think about this world system, it attacks Christians in two ways. Firstly, it persecutes Christians. And the second one, which is coming back to this attraction thing, is that it can seduce them to compromise. So we need to be aware and guarded against that. It's sort of the the reaching out to to what looks attractive to us. And of course this attraction is there for all people. The world in its ways does look attractive. How often have you met people who don't want to come to Christ because of what they may have to give up or because of what they might miss out on? I haven't lived yet. 
So if we contrast that to the bride's adornments, what the bride's adornments speak to us about is that it represents her faithful works or probably more accurately it represents her redeemed condition which becomes about because of as a result of those faithful works. Now I'm not talking about being redeemed because of works. Of course there's this overarching factor of the bride being redeemed as a result of the work of Christ. In reading today's passage we see the key attractions of the new Jerusalem is the glory of God. It, it's, it's expressed as light, it's expressed in these um, great pictures that we see that John has described to us. Um, the attraction is, is the security, the life that's here, the eternity that we will have with Christ. So we can see this contrast between the two attractions. One leads to death, the other leads to eternity in God's presence. The second contrast I've called the aspiration to be like God. Now, I was a little bit iffy about that title, but you'll see what I mean as, as, as I explain it. So if we are to look at Babylon, if we are to look at our worldly system, what we find is that it tries to ascend to heaven through its own human efforts. It's, it's that Tower of Babel thing going on and I believe that's where Babylon gets its name from. It's man's effort to be like God. And we see that today in this whole thing about us evolving into a more progressive society. We're somehow supposed to be changing into better people. We're supposed to be moving to that pinnacle of humanity. Whatever that looks like, we don't know. But what we do know is it doesn't work. It doesn't work because we still have the same inherent problems there within our nature. Not only that, the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. No amount of human effort or aspiration will get you to heaven. So contrasting to Babylon trying to rise up to heaven, we have seen today that Jerusalem descends from heaven. It comes from God. It's designed and built by God. It is perfect because he designed it and he built it. All things are made new. We can only be the way that God intended us to be through the work of God's hand. And we read that this morning in today's scripture reading from 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. God himself has prepared us for this and as a guarantee he has given us his Holy Spirit. So the aspiration to be like God fails when it is strived for in human effort. The gift to be as God intended us to be is only possible through Christ. And the last contrast that we'll look at between these two cities today is their ultimate destiny. And I'll just simply give you a couple of verses which sums that up talking about Babylon from Revelations 18-21 to Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall be found shall not be found anymore. And from last week 
Revelations chapter 21 verses 3 to 4 about the New Jerusalem. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So from these contrasts, I bring you today's challenge. Babylon or Jerusalem? Now I don't mean that as us as Christians to pick and choose from those two options. As a Christian, we have that great encouragement from today's passage. This is the place that God has prepared for us. The entire community of God has that promise to dwell there with God. This is our destiny. Now if you are here this morning and you're not in Christ, then this is a question that is definitely one for you to consider, Babylon or Jerusalem. If God is reality, then his word is a reality. What we have read here about today is a reality. And the contrast between these two places, the the world's apart. And there's consequences and there's rewards that are also worlds apart and they're indescribable. Come to Christ and if you've been on the fringes and have been dabbling in Christianity, then maybe it's time to get real. As I pose this question to us as Christians, the challenge is this. What do we want for those around us? Babylon or Jerusalem? Josh challenged us on this last week and I know both Calfane and Dave have also challenged us on sharing the Gospel previously. I once listened to a speaker and I can't remember who the speaker was so I I can't give him credit but he once posed the question of quality over quantity when it came to leading people to Christ and I guess the question implied the problem that exists particularly when we think of great crusades or how we we approach um, salvation but the problem exists that when through emotive preaching or maybe through peer pressure that many people can be caught up in the moment and they may confess Christ as Lord and Saviour without really understanding what they're doing or without any real foundations being laid. So sometimes they fall away from their faith. I also know of other instances where God's grabbed hold of those people and, and really done a work through them. So do we play the numbers game or do we go for lots and lots of training so we can get it 100% right? His conclusion is that it is both. Maybe we just need to evaluate our methods and our heart attitude. It's both quality and quantity. We need to present the gospel in its fullness and hopefully we do it in a way that is clear and concise. It is also a numbers game. We need to get out there and do it. At the end of the day, each one of those numbers is a person. It's important that we recognise and take up the opportunities that come our way and we should be out there looking for them. Our desire should be that people we know, people that we love and people that we meet would all be there with us in that eternal city and that we would be there together in the presence of God. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. We just thank you that, Lord, that you can give us this this great encouragement, this great hope that we have.
But Lord, I also pray that you encourage us and challenge us to, to want to share your word, to want to share about you with those around us. That Lord, that we would have that heart, that we would desire to see uh, people come to know you and come to, to experience the things that we have read about today. Lord, we pray that uh, as we go forth this week, Lord, may you continue to speak to us and, and, and challenge us where we need to be challenged. We thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen.